Section 18 of The Myths of the New World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Myths of the New World by Daniel Brinton. Chapter 6, Part 3. I might next discuss the culture myth of the Muiscas, whose hero, Bohika or Nemke Teba, bore the other name Sua, the White One, the Day, the East, an appellation they likewise gave the Europeans on their arrival. He had taught them in remotest times how to manufacture their clothing, build their houses, cultivate the soil, and reckon time. When he disappeared, he divided the land between four chiefs and laid down many minute rules of government, which ever after were religiously observed. Or I might choose that of the Caribs, whose patron Tamu, called Grandfather, an old man of the sky, was a man of light complexion, who in the old times came from the east, instructed them in agriculture and arts, and disappeared in the same direction, promising them assistance in the future, and that at death he would receive their souls on the summit of the sacred tree, and transport them safely to his home in the sky. Or, from the more fragmentary mythology of ruder nations, Proof might be brought of the well-nigh universal reception of these fundamental views. As, for instance, when the Mundans of the Upper Missouri speak of their first ancestor as a son of the West, who preserved them at the flood, and whose garb was always of four milk-white wolf-skins, and when the Pimos, a people of the valley of the Rio Gila, relate that their birthplace was where the sun rises, that there for generations they led a joyous life until their beneficent first parent disappeared in the heavens. From that time, say they, God lost sight of them, and they wandered west and further west till they reached their present seats. Or I might instance the Tupis of Brazil, who were named after the first of men, Tupa, he who alone survived the flood, who was one of the four brothers, who is described as an old man of fair complexion, un vieillard blanc and who is now their highest divinity, ruler of the lightning and the storm, whose voice is the thunder, and who is the guardian of their nation. But is it not evident that these and all such legends are but variations of those already analyzed? In thus removing one by one the wrappings of symbolism and displaying at the center and summit of these various creeds, he who is throned in the sky, who comes with the dawn, who manifests himself in the light and the storm, and whose ministers are the four winds, I set up no new god. The ancient Israelites prayed to him who was seated above the firmament, who commanded the morning and caused the day-spring to know its place, who answered out of the whirlwind, and whose envoys were the four winds, the four cherubim described with such wealth of imagery in the introduction to the book of Ezekiel. The Mohammedan adores the clement and merciful lord of the daybreak whose star is in the east, who rides on the storm, and whose breath is the wind. The primitive man in the new world also associated these physical phenomena as products of an invisible power, conceived under human form, called by name, worshipped as one, and of whom all related the same myth differing but in unimportant passages. This was the primeval religion. It was not monotheism, for there were many other gods, it was not pantheism, 
for there was no blending of the cause with the effects. Still less was it fetishism and adoration of sensuous objects, for these were recognized as effects. It teaches us that the idea of God neither arose from the phenomenal world nor was sunk in it, as is the shallow theory of the day, but is as Kant long ago defined it, a conviction of a highest and first principle which binds all phenomena into one. One point of these legends deserves closer attention for the influence it exerted on the historical fortunes of the race. The dawn heroes were conceived as of fair complexion, mighty in war, and though absent for a season, destined to return and claim their ancient power. Here is one of those unconscious prophecies pointing to the advent of a white race from the east that wrote the doom of the red man in letters of fire. Historians have marveled at the instantaneous collapse of the empires of Mexico, Peru, the Mayas, and the Natchez before a handful of Spanish filibusters. The fact was, wherever the whites appeared, they were connected with these ancient predictions of the spirit of the dawn returning to claim his own. Obscure and ominous prophecies, texts of bodeful song, rose in the memory of the natives and paralyzed their arms. For a very long time, said Montezuma, at his first interview with Cortes, has it been handed down that we are not the original possessors of this land, but came hither from a distant region under the guidance of a ruler who afterwards left us and returned. We have ever believed that some day his descendants would come and resume dominion over us. Inasmuch as you are from that direction, which is toward the rising of the sun, and serve so great a king as you describe, we believe that he is also our natural lord, and are ready to submit ourselves to him. The gloomy words of Neza Hual Coyotl, a former prince of Tezcuco, foretelling the arrival of white and bearded men from the east who would wrest the power from the hands of the rightful rulers and destroy in a day the edifice of centuries were ringing in his ears but they were not so gloomy to the minds of his downtrodden subjects for that day was to liberate them from the thralls of servitude therefore when they first beheld the fair-complexioned spaniards they rushed into the water to embrace the prows of their vessels and dispatched messengers throughout the land to proclaim the result of Quetzalcoatl. The noble Mexican was not alone in his presentiments. When Hernando de Soto, on landing in Peru, first met the Inca Huascar, the latter related an ancient prophecy, which his father, Huayna Capac, had repeated on his dying bed, to the effect that in the reign of the thirteenth Inca, white men, Viracochas, of surpassing strength and valor, would come down from their father the son and subject to their rule the nations of the world i command you said the dying monarch to yield them homage and obedience for they will be of a nature superior to ours the natives of haiti told columbus of similar predictions long anterior to his arrival and father lizana had preserved in the original maya tongue several such foreboding chants doubtless he has adapted them somewhat to proselytizing purposes but they seem very likely to be close copies of authentic aboriginal songs referring to the return of zamna or kukulkan lord of the dawn and the four winds worshipped at cozumel and palenque under the sign of the cross an extract will show their character at the close of the thirteenth age of the world while the cities of itza and tanka still flourish the sign of the lord of the sky will appear the light of the dawn will illumine the land, and the cross will be seen by the nations of men, 
a father to you will he be itsalanos a brother to you ye natives of tanka receive well the bearded guests who are coming bringing the sign of the lord from the daybreak of the lord of the sky so clement yet powerful the old writers gomara cogoyudo via gutiere have taken pains to collect other instances of this presentiment of the arrival and domination of a white race later historians fashionably incredulous of what they cannot explain have passed them over in silence that they existed there can be no doubt and that they arose in the way i have stated is almost proven by the fact that in mexico bogota and peru the whites were at once called from the proper names of the heroes of the dawn suas viracochas and quetzalcoatls when the church of rome had crushed remorselessly the religions of mexico and peru all hope of the return of quetzalcoatl and viracocha perished with the institutions of which they were the mythical founders but it was only to arise under new incarnations and later names as well forbid the heart of youth to bud forth in tender love as that of oppressed nationalities to cherish the faith that some ideal hero some royal man will yet arise and break in fragments their fetters and lead them to glory and honor when the name of quetzalcoatl was no longer heard from the teocai of cholula that of montezuma took its place from ocean to ocean and from the river gila to the nicaraguan lake nearly every aboriginal nation still cherishes the memory of montezuma not as the last unfortunate ruler of a vanished state but as the prince of their golden era their saturnian age lord of the winds and waters and founder of their institutions when in the depth of the tropical forest the antiquary disinters some statue of ernest mien the natives whisper one to the other montezuma montezuma in the legends of new mexico he is the founder of the pueblos and entrusted to their guardianship the sacred fire departing he planted a tree and bade them watch it well for when that tree should fall and the fire die out then he would return from the far east and lead his loyal people to victory and power when the present generation saw their land glide mile by mile into the rapacious hands of the yankees when new and strange diseases desolated their homes finally when in 1846 the sacred tree was prostrated and the guardian of the holy fire was found dead on its cold ashes then they thought the hour of deliverance had come and every morning at earliest dawn a watcher mounted to the housetops and gazed long and anxiously in the lightening east hoping to descry the noble form of montezuma advancing through the morning beams at the head of a conquering army groaning under the iron rule of the spaniards the peruvians would not believe that the last of the incas had perished an outcast and a wanderer in the forests of the cordilleras for centuries they clung to the persuasion that he had but retired to another mighty kingdom beyond the mountains and in due time would return and sweep the haughty castilian back into the ocean in 1781 a mestizo jose gabriel condorcanqui of the province of tinta took advantage of this strong delusion and binding around his forehead the scarlet fie of the incas proclaimed himself the long-lost inca tupac amaru and a true child of the sun thousands of indians flocked to his standard and at their head he took the field vowing the extermination of every soul of the hated race seized at last by the spaniards and condemned to a public execution 
So profound was the reverence with which he had inspired his followers, so full their faith in his claims, that, undeterred by the threats of the soldiery, they prostrated themselves on their faces before this last of the children of the sun, as he passed on to a felon's death. These fancied reminiscences, these unfounded hopes, so vague, so childlike, let no one dismiss them as the babblings of ignorance, contemplated in their broadest meaning as characteristic of the race of man, they have an interest higher than any history, beyond that of any poetry. They point to the recognized discrepancy between what man is and what he feels he should be, must be. They are the indignant protests of the race against acquiescence in the world's evil as the world's law. They are the incoherent utterances of those yearnings for nobler conditions of existence, which no savagery, no ignorance, nothing but a false and lying enlightenment can wholly extinguish. End of section 18. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.